Into the Zeitgeist, the comedic research podcast, is funded by you. Thank you. If you want to learn how to support the show, go to patreon.com slash WDM1. Welcome to Into the Zeitgeist. My name is David Waters, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Shannon. What's the story? (laughs) (laughs) And not as always by our friend and colleague, Bryn, man's best friend, Keenum. Hello. (laughs) Glad to be here. Hey, Bryn, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing, David? Oh, I'm good. It's good to have you here. Since it's been since uh, uh, Bryn is friend of the pod. Yes, um, friend of the pod. The um, friend Art- of the network. Artists for the pod. Artists for the pod. <laughs> yes, yes. You that, and uh, you were on the movie podcast as well. You did the Pokemon one, which is. I don't know how we got into it earlier, but we just started talking about Pokemon. (laughs) When I'm around, (laughs) it's the main subject of conversation. Yeah, it always circles back around. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Well, it's good to have you here. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the day we met. It was for an ice cream social our freshman year of college for... The LGBTQ group. Do you remember what it was called? Ooh, not off the top of my head. Me either. But. but they had this ice cream social. David's sister, Crystal, came with me. And it was like a walk to the ice cream. I don't know if you were a part of the walk. I was not. I showed up. <laughs> Keegan and I, another friend of ours from college, showed up at Beth Marie's for it. Yeah, and so I don't really remember exactly how that all happened. I think Crystal and I met Sochi because she had a dog and she was sitting outside and so we were with the dog and then I think this guy Jeremy was there and maybe he knew Keegan and that's why you and Keegan came, maybe? I think we came because I wanted to be part of the... It wasn't a GSA, but, like, essentially the GSA. And uh, Keegan had actually just gone on a terrible date and showed up halfway through everything. Yeah. And so I think he just wanted to talk to people who were (laughs) this awful date he'd had. And then I made you all come to gay church and we played games. I distinctly remember going to gay church (laughs) right afterwards because I think I told David about that and he was like, I have never been to gay church. I don't think so. I can't even remember where it's at. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's awesome. Very cool. I, I love how the story involved a dog in some way. Yeah. <laughs> it's very on point for this episode, isn't very, it? Very relevant. So, uh, yes, thank you for that. <laughs> um, Shannon, you have something you have? Yeah, yeah. So, uh... I was thinking about this because, um, I guess today's episode's about Wishbone. That's why we're laughing about the dog. Um, and I was watching Shark Tank a few weeks ago, and 
There was this uh, investor on Damon. I don't know his last name, but I think uh, he has a clothing brand or something. And he was talking about this product. I can't remember what the product was. I wish I could. But it was something to, like, help your brain. And he was like this is such a great product because, like, we need to invest in our brains. Once your brain, like, learns something, it never forgets it. It never gets smaller. Mm. And I was like, that's interesting. Like, I I watched something else the other day where it was talking about how you need to exercise your brain. But I think it's, like, kind of a combination of the two. Like, you have to learn... I don't know. This sounds just... fake because I don't remember like what I had for lunch yesterday. <laughs> but <laughs> you remembered that whole hunchback wishbone episode. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped exercising my brain at about eleven years old, it seems. <laughs> I always like those like uh Brain, I think like Nintendo makes them or something. Oh, Brain like, Academy! Brain, brain oh Academy. yeah, yeah, those games are fun. I like those ones. Those were really know, good. That <laughs> I have a very quick short story, but uh, I was playing that game. I, I must have been um, in high school still, and like I think it's when the DS was still like a big thing, or that was like the newest version. Oh yeah, and uh, like you could write on it and. This game was so. This game would not let me write. I think it was either a two. It was a four. It was a four. Ah. And I was like, okay, so to 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 write a four, I do I do down and then to the right and then one straight line down through. This game was like. In O, sir. In O. It was like, no, we're not accepting this. Like, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I just I drew mean, a four for you. To be fair, David, I have seen your handwriting. So. Oh, <laughs> gosh, that hurts. You know, I got the, she didn't, uh, I can't remember when she gave it to me, but it's called this rocket book. And um, I was like writing in it and took a picture and like sent it off to my email or wherever I sent it. I was like, God damn, I do have some bad handwriting. <laughs> Only when I choose to. That's fair. Uh, when you're not thinking about it. Yeah. Well, I was the whole time. Oh, no. <laughs> Anyways. I so, wonder if that game wanted, like, that other four, you know? The triangle yeah, one? Yeah. As opposed to, like, four. the open rectangle? Yeah. Oh. Who okay, writes their fourth? Who's like, that the game here? I'm not, but I, I'm just wondering, like, what that has solved. This is an attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, so for the uninitiated and to the zeitgeist is our bi-weekly comedic research podcast where we explore touchdowns of the past and bring them back up to be talked about and shit like that. Um, if you want to show your support, uh, consider subscribing to our Patreon. You can get the podcast two days early, uh, a monthly bonus episode, and even producer credits. Uh, that's at patreon.com slash WDM1. And then, uh, you know, if you want to be um, just following us on social media, that's cool as well. That's where you'll get new episode alerts. So, like, rate, review. I love it. Um... Shannon, I think we're getting into um, our opening segment, Purging Our Sins. I know, it's your week. And I felt like I just talked a lot, but I'm going to continue. That, that 
trimmed. And, you know, (laughs) there's one thing. I wrote this in before I saw what you had below this, like, mentioning. You know, we're talking about Wishbone, and it was on a certain television, like, um, what do you call it? Network. Network, yeah. Yeah. And um, this network that I watched, we watched, uh, was PBS, Public Broadcast something station station okay i was like i don't know yes <laughs> <laughs> uh anyways but yeah uh when i was a child i probably rotted my brain actually i'd say semi rotted my brain because you can't like, rot your brain on pbs <laughs> the, the television part of it yes <laughs> definitely <laughs> but i was watching like cyber chase that show was, like, was taught you math, math that skills skills <laughs> Arthur Tommy Morals. Yes. Um, I mean, I could go on. Wishbone. Literature. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> required reading. <laughs> Arthur also told you to get a library card. That is true. And Wishbone, we watched an episode before we got on here, and Wishbone was like, yo, get that. M-F, uh, you know. <laughs> if you want to be a cool dog like me, yo. <laughs> Honestly, that's not out of the realm of possibility. I could for write me. for a wish. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, so that's why I said I just, I, I watched many hours, and so I have a lot of gray matter in my brain now. That's just how it is. Did you watch any of the Craft Brothers shows? This is PBS-related, but not show-related, I suppose. Like the... Zaboombafu. Yes. Or there was one right before... That was like a more serious one, and then they added a puppet for Zaboombafu. They're like, yeah, this is our lemur friend. Because no one was watching our very dry educational show that we made before this, I guess. So, uh, Zaboombafu is another great example. I'm trying to think of, dude, Dragon Tales. Yes, I love I love Dragon Tales. (laughs) Another part of my morals I learned from dragons. Also, it was, like, uh, kind of dual language, if I remember right, because Max and Emmy were both Hispanic. Hispanic yes. yeah. And Quetzal, I think, was the name of the, the, the old dragon. Okay. Yeah. I remember there being, like, some, like, Spanish, yeah. pre-Dora the Explorer multilingual show stuff for that. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love that show, guys. That was intense. I loved it. Do y'all remember this show? I wrote it on here. It was called Liberty's Kids. I love Liberty's Kids. I can sing you the theme song right now. (laughs) Oh, I hated it. Really? Really? I hated it. I hated it. Oh, banned from the podcast. (laughs) Shan, I will be continuing this alone. Oh my gosh. I remember thinking that it would be a show I would hate as a kid, but then I started watching it, and I was like, oh my god, the drama. I was a slut for American history as a kid, and this was, like, perfect. Benedict Arnold is, like, a main character with a big, like, character arc about his betrayal. I guess spoilers for history. But but Benedict Arnold was in it, and, like, they talked to, like, George Washington stuff, and, like, Benedict and George George had, like, this, like, really, like, good relationship of, like, a mentor, like, mentee thing. And then Benedict betrays them, and all the kids are like, what the (laughs) kid-appropriate historical (laughs) insert here? Oh, that's funny. 
That show is great. Uh, One of the kids is like French. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> Henri, I think is his name. Yeah. That sounds right! Yes! I loved I mean, the movie kids. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin is there. Yes! It's a trolley. It was a great show. I think we like, <laughs> learn about the printing press right. at some point. I think one of the kids worked in Benjamin Franklin's yes! like workshop. Okay. And so he like worked with the printing press. Yes. And so they talked about like the the propaganda that would be printed during the time for, like, support of emancipation and everything. David, this show is so good. As okay, a history yeah, person, uh, I'm horrified that, that you weren't more into those. It. Okay, alright. It's on the list. It's on the list. I, I have mean, a little TV show I wouldn't go into. <laughs> don't have to watch this child <laughs> show from 1992. Like. <laughs> See, I don't have to. I want to. That's true. <laughs> Do you? Was the little redheaded girl, what was her name? Was it Jesse? I think it was Claire. Claire. Okay. I feel like I remember an episode where she had to, like, take a letter to, like, from, like, Abigail... Yes! Someone to I think Martha Abigail Adams. Adams. Yeah. To, like, Martha Washington? I believe so. And it was, like, risking her life. Yes, like, she's, like, like riding through the forest. Yes. Like, it was crazy. Because they also do the, uh... Oh, the one, yeah, the one yeah. That, Okay, that's the one episode I've seen, and I was like, okay, like, this is a little wild. I think the way <laughs> they tie in, uh to that historical event is her taking the letter around yeah. the same time. Because they do try and, like, shoehorn in these, like, <laughs> very relevant events. But... Oh, man. They did their best, and I was there for it. Did y'all watch Zoom? Yes. I come on and Zoomed all the time. <laughs> Haven't we all Zoomed before? Are we not still Zooming? Bert almost made me spit up. <laughs> I was kind of hoping. I was like, Ooh. I see him picking it up. Oh, Lord, that's funny. I love Zoom. Isn't the, you have a few more down here, too. Oh, my God. You just listed them yeah. all off. I mean, I, I mean, Sesame Street, Barney, those are, like, pretty standard PBS shows. There's Barney, not- which made... Was made by the same company, Wishbone. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. By a different... One of the reasons why they had such trouble negotiating for Wishbone to be on air was because they were renegotiating Barney at the time. Yeah. Not to oh, they blow want to do my together, research like, load or anything, but... Wishbone, Barney combo. <laughs> Crossover of the Titans. <laughs> oh, my God. Barney versus Kong. Barney versus Bone. Anyway, the crossover event of the season. Oh, that's good shit. Barney versus Bone. Oh, good shit, good shit. So, um, yeah, I think that was a nice, like, Shannon, you want to take it away? 
Okay, are we are we ready to dive in? I mean, you have on here the intro to Wishbone, oh, oh, the it. song slaps. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I forgot I didn't put this right up here. Yeah, I love it. Can we talk about that for a second, the intro song? Just how catchy it is. It's very catchy. It's very, like, stomp. Like, a lot of... <laughs> Somebody wants to clap to it. Somebody wants to stomp yes. to it. <laughs> no, do you remember those, like, stomp? videos or yeah. it was like all of them playing music with like trash cans yes. it's very like syncopated like snap yeah. rhythm clap like yeah okay acapella right. feel right it kind of yeah now that you say that it like because all the pbs shows had catchy songs like arthur i can remember that one like yes. right off the top i can remember the liberty kids Catchy songs. I think I saw that this is the Foo one too. Horrifying. Yeah. I love Zubumbafu. That was another thing. God damn. Like, okay, there's not one show that was brought up during this whole conversation so far that I did not have vivid memories of. Right? <laughs> yeah, vivid memories of watching, uh, like, I don't think you put in here, like, Teletubbies. Or oh, you yeah. Or even later, but, uh, yeah, Teletubbies. All that Between shit. the Lions? Between yeah. The Lions? Oh, my God, Bryn, you just... Oh, yeah, Speaking like, of another library propaganda <laughs> television <laughs> show. They wanted these kids to read. Like, I, I think in the end... I miss that drive of public television. Because now I think it's very STEM-oriented, which is wonderful for, like, kids going into school to day like you yeah. need to know like the math and science portions and stuff right. but i really miss like the literary push for kids in the yeah. 90s mm, good point yeah because yeah. it, it is oh my god between the lines was heavy with ad love there was this segment where it was just called the cliffhanger going through the episode names in more detail here right now uh, today I guess um, it, I love how they use like pun dog puns like with a lot of them like yeah. no, the, well it's not even dog puns because I was pointing out one earlier that said uh, what was it a, a tale of two sitters and this was I was telling you earlier like I, we uh, as children uh, used to have two babysitters at one time and like we would go over the, we had one who was just fucking <laughs> sucked and made us watch Barney on PBS wow the other cool babysitter let us watch other PBS shows and we then had to watch fighting Barney, Barney all the fucking time maybe, maybe it was just a symptom of that time of day that's when we were with that's her that's kind of so what I was going to say I don't Aww. think it was necessarily the babysitter's fault if you were but just there sucked. in the morning she sucked dox her Talbot. 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 I see. Um, 
I just remember watching the Tempest one. Uh, it's like later in the in the season or like the two seasons that they had, and uh, I just see this bowl cut everywhere this kid goes. Like it's just a very clear bowl cut, and I it upsets me every time he walks in the frame. Just <laughs> like I'm just saying, I'm just saying. But other than that, uh, I think. Shannon mentioned the bowl cut to me. We were texting about this after she asked me if I'd be interested in coming to record. Mm -hmm. And so I watched the episode that I remember the most, which is in the later season, um, after, like, they had to wait, like, I think two years to film season two or something ridiculous like that. And so the kids are much older and so I didn't, the first episode I watched, he has like normal 90s boy hair. And I was like, why are you talking about this bowl cut thing? And then I went back and watched uh, the Time Machine episode. And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, that is weird. Okay, I never noticed that. I yeah, he gets like a Leo DiCaprio cut in the season two. Huh. So it's it. not as bad. He okay, gets better. All right. I think I didn't watch any of the... Uh... Past ones, or like the you know later ones. Yeah, um, I I don't think I watched very many of the later ones either. But now that friend mentions it, yeah, I do recall them being like really young, and then suddenly teenagers, very old. <laughs> <laughs> but like the the plots don't really change over to them being teenagers. It's still very middle school plot yeah I'll, I'll tell you all about the one that I watched a little later on I think so. okay. <laughs> cool yeah we're gonna talk about some episodes that we watched and that we uh, remember here in just a little bit but what do you think David are you ready to jump in yeah, yeah okay I'm ready cool so Wishbone the television show it came from the imagination of creator Rick Duffield And he was actually a Dallas producer, and his family included three children, and at the time he created Wishbone, his kids were 8, 12, and 15. And then he also had a a Jack Russell Terrier named Dooley. Um, I thought I mentioned it in here, so I'm sorry if I bring it back up again later, but I think he talks about how... Oh, yeah. He was just kind of, like, daydreaming and was um, looking, like, I guess he had some books on his desk, and he was like, what if my dog was, like, the main character of one of these books? And that's kind of how Wishbone came to life. What do you think about that? Wow. Uh, I love the imagination of it all. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, what came to mind was uh, Hank the Cow Dog. Okay, yeah. That, that old book series. Yeah. When I first moved to Pilot Point. That creator came. Yes, yes, he did. We, uh, <laughs> Sharon, Sharon and I went to school, I think it was like when I was in fifth grade or something. Like, man, this was like when I first got there. I think. Uh, but we, I remember yeah. Hank the Cowdog, um, dude coming in and like doing the voice and, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, I like the books. The books were good, but, like, I don't know. Uh-huh. So, Trying to come up with a dog voice and like from the outset is a little interesting. He does it well. He does it well. Yeah. yeah. I have a really bad, embarrassing memory from Hank the Cowdog Day. Um, I got my period, and I was wearing, like, khaki pants. 
And like, my mom had to come pick me up. <laughs> you missed Hank the cow dog day because of your period. I saw some of it. Oh, I'm glad you got to experience a little bit of it. Yeah, I just remembered that that happened afterwards. That was a bad day for me. Anyways. And your khaki pants. <laughs> Don't wear khaki pants. Um, but, so, Wishbone, um, it was produced by this company called Big Feats Entertainment, and I think they were actually owned by another company who also produced other PBS shows. I believe it's Lyric. Lyric. Okay. I wasn't sure which way it went, though. Does Lyric own Big Feats, or does Big Feats... Yes. Big Feats, I think, is a subsidiary. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> like subsidiary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lyric. Okay, yeah. So then so then Lyrics like had another company that also produced Barney. I think we're gonna talk about that more here in a little bit. Um but so Big Feats, um, they their like lot was in Richardson, which is a suburb in Dallas. All of us are kind of familiar with it. Um, and they had a 10-acre back lot and a 50,000-square-foot studio um, to film the show. And then, am I going to mention this? They also had, like, another, like, studio that they used in Grapevine, which is really close to where we live in North Texas. They used to film the outdoor shots in Grapevine, which I was blown away learning this because what I remember from Wishbone is, like, gorgeous autumnal, like, (laughs) vistas where it's just, like, these beautiful, like, golden red, like, fire. And then when I think of Grapevine, I'm like, this is Texas. We don't have fall here. So I was blown because that's all I remember is like wishbone like jumping out of a pile of leaves is Rip Van Winkle and uh, like yes. golden leaves everywhere and then it's like oh in, in Plano and <laughs> <laughs> the sound stage makes way more sense than outside in Plano Texas. <laughs> God, now that you say that, I feel like it's implied there are different seasons in Wishbone. Like, they do. And it's a Texas town, so we yes. know that's fall. It's a fictional <laughs> Texas town, but it's still supposedly in this place called Oakdale, Texas. Like... I don't remember any snow, so at least this is accurate <laughs> to Texas weather. Oh, man. I feel like there probably is an episode with snow, though. Like, shout out in the comments if you remember a winter episode of Wishbone. It's inaccurate. Uh, oh. oh, anyways. So, um, the show was produced um, from 1995 to 1997. And so, I think that's um, earlier we mentioned, like, there's these episodes where the kids are younger they, like, have this long break, and they come back, and they're, like, a couple years older. But it's, it's, you can tell the difference. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, let's see. So, Wishbone is the title character. He's a dog. That's kind of the gimmick there. And he, there's all of these different episodes where he daydreams about being the lead character of stories from classic literature. And that's kind of the premise of the whole show. 
David, do you want to run through some of the characters? Yeah, sure. So Jordan Wall as Joe Joseph. Uh, I want to call him Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe like you Tyler. know him or something? <laughs> <laughs> I do not know. I wonder how old he is now. That's probably interesting to look up. Uh, Jordan Wall. So, and then Christine Abbott as Samantha Kepler. Sam Kepler, the best character. Really? In your opinion? I love Sam. Yeah. yeah. Um, Adam Springfield as David Barnes. Love David. <laughs> love him. Love him. <laughs> uh, Mary Chris Wall as Ellen Mc- McMillan Talbot, the mom. The hottest character. <laughs> Sam may be the best, but Ellen's the hottest. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to rate. Did I derail this? <laughs> I do not want to rate who is the hottest out of this guest. There's I'm no sorry. competition, so you don't have to rate. <laughs> you can cut this out, David. Fair enough. No, I like it. And then also, fun fact: Jason Eccles. Jensen. Eccles. Jensen. Really, Jensen? I said Jason. <laughs> Jensen Eccles appeared in a 1996 episode of Wishbone, The Wishbone, which I kind of want to go back and watch, um, where he played Michael, a young man who recently lost his mother. Jensen Eccles being a famous actor known for the Supernatural series. Yes. There's a... a I I only knew that because I was scrolling through TikTok the other day and saw a little... Little, uh, maybe I sent it to you. I don't know, but um, yeah. So, I'm pretty sure both of the main characters of Supernatural, Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles, are both Texas-based actors as well. Okay, I would. I think I meant to look that up, but I never really followed through on that. So that's interesting. I think we love, we love Texas here. So. Clearly, <laughs> this is the prerogative of the podcast Clearly. to talk about Texas. Uh, Texas is always in the zeitgeist. So. <laughs> uh, anyways, and then David didn't mention it, but um, the main wishbone dog was named Soccer. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about how Soccer got chosen here in a little bit. And then he was voiced by Larry Brantley. Um, who I think, gosh, he just nails it. Like, looking back, we watched some episodes earlier, and, like, what a... He's, he's just on time, like... <laughs> Did you hear that? how they film it? What? Nah. How they filmed, uh, oh, like, his voiceover stuff? They, like, sent him the finished tapes or whatever. He's or, on like, set. For yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, he ad-libbed a lot of like if soccer like missed his mark or something like that then he would like ad-lib which i think they use one of the shots in um the Rosie Rosie episode the romeo and juliet one uh-huh. where he's like trying to get the collar off of himself oh. i'm pretty sure that soccer i read somewhere that soccer was just trying to get the collar off of him and so he's like oh this collar needs to come off <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's how he got hired originally. I don't know if yes. you got those yes. later yes. on. So, uh, I don't I don't know if I wrote it in here, but he was like playing fetch with a dog. Yeah. And was like doing voices with it. During the audition, then they all all of the did. people trying to be Wishbone's voice came and like had to VO for soccer who had already been chosen. And so they uh we're on sort of a break because soccer was getting a little too energetic and rowdy. So there, his handler, Larry, was like playing fetch with him. And, uh, or Larry's not. Or like the, the guy. The yeah, the trainer was like playing with him. And so the voiceover artist uh, started like voicing him playing fetch. And then he was like, oh, are we ready to do the audition? They were like, that was the audition, man. You got it. Like, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I put this in here earlier and I didn't mention it. But like, I love that because it makes me think of Bob from Bob's Burgers whenever he does the voices for like vegetables oh, or like yes. the turkey. Oh, <laughs> like, I love that this guy just like did that. Like, I I feel like all a lot of us do that sometimes. We just make up voices for things that like are animals or inanimate inanimate objects oh, and yeah. the animal thing is definitely <laughs> the thing. animal one's real. <laughs> yeah, it's so real it's, like I I almost didn't mention it because that's how like um baseline it is. <laughs> Do you think the wishbone was the precursor to all of the Instagram accounts out now that are just like their parents posting pictures of their pets and being like I was really brave today and went out to the dog park. <laughs> My mama said that I did great, so I got a puppuccino afterwards. <laughs> like, yes. Whatever. Yes. Wish we had higher standards. <laughs> this is actually exactly like Shannon's account on Instagram. Where she cat. posts pictures of her cat with philosopher quotes. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Anyways, that yes. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so David. I know. So David has a dog, kind of adjacent. Do you give baby voices? Like, oh yeah. What um, What's baby's backstory? Uh. Well. Okay. So I, instead of baby, I'd mention um, Jameson the cat. Okay. Uh, he's from Slovakia. <laughs> and he just showed up and uh, just needed a home. And uh, yeah, he's disabled. Oh my gosh! Like in what way? Um, no, well, like his back foot. I mean, it's only a little little thing that he has. JT can explain it way better. Uh, not not my animals. Not my animals. No, but I mean, what's his like? Oh my god, David! What's his like? David backstory. You think about that. I'm gonna go to Bryn and okay. ask about. <laughs> you got it. Her cat's backstories. Yeah. Uh, Cake is a princess um, because she's incredibly spoiled between me and Robbie because we both dote on her unendingly. And Shannon, you need to stop laughing. Does she have like a British accent? She doesn't. Um, she's very naive and very um, needy. And this, that's essentially all of her stuff. I actually have a photo that I took yesterday while we were waiting for Robbie to come home from a function. And it's just her sitting at the window and a little speech bubble. It says, where is Papa? 
um, Hobbs is a gremlin from hell, so he sounds accordingly. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for that description. What about, do you have voices? I know Ferris is clearly the academic of the family. Yes, he's French. What about <laughs> Ferris is French. Um, Pedro, he is from Mexico. He speaks Spanish. Um, that's what oh, he knows. I have like a little like video of me and I think we were watching um, the King of the Hill episode Oh, an episode of that and Pedro was just being so cute he I believe will play on both of you for whatever reason Brennan David but anybody else out there Pedro hates you with a passion Um, he's very hateful and Ferris oh is just very apathetic. <laughs> I just want Ferris to love me. Mm. And he doesn't. <laughs> Ferris is like Wishbone in that first impressions episode where he's Mr. Darcy. <laughs> it's like these common folk. These common folk. <laughs> you know what I was thinking Okay, I you made me think of baby, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I should have came up with this instantaneously. Sounds like Hank the Cowdog. Ah, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sounds like Hank the Cowdog. <laughs> Jameson is Slovakian, and uh, yeah. yeah Baby's country? Yeah, exactly, like country folk. <laughs> She's like Lady Bird. Yeah. <laughs> Not as old, though. She kind of looks like her. Yeah, a little bit chocolate lab, yeah. Love it. Good comeback, David. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I'm suspicious of your Russian cat. (laughs) Slovakian. Okay. Okay. Previously USSR country. (laughs) Uh, You didn't hear that. I didn't make that one up. You should know that. Okay. Yeah, JT made that one up. Or did he? The Slovakian one? Or is it real? <laughs> he He's gaslighting you. He did this just to embarrass you on a podcast years I, I, later. <laughs> Jameson shall remain a mystery. Oh my gosh. Anyways, so whenever... Uh, Duffield had the, like, idea for this show. It was kind of like, okay, so this dog is going to become, you know, Robin Hood, Hercules, this Jack Russell Terrier. And he was kind of like, this kind of might sound ridiculous, but at this time, there's also, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Big Bird, Barney, like... In comparison, you know, how ridiculous is this idea compared to those, you know? David, are you with us? Yes, yes, sorry. <laughs> Important text. Oh, are you looking up to see if Slovakia was a yeah. <laughs> satellite <laughs> country? Yes, I was, I was looking for that. <laughs> yeah, when you think about it, like, child's... Like, children's television in general is such an interesting concept because it's this idea of, like, either playing down to children to be able to cover as many age groups as possible or doing, like, the Wishbone, Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers thing where you're trying to speak at the level of children, 
it might alienate some younger audiences, but it's more real. And I think those are kind of the ones that stick with people more are the ones where they're not talked down to like a lot of like other network television shows (laughs) for children. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like, when you think of Nickelodeon, I think of, like, Rugrats compared to the Wild Thornberries or, like... Right. Something like that. Or even just, like, current uh, children's shows. Like, I'm not watching too much children's television, but I've seen a lot of, like, the Coco Melon and stuff like that. Just the, like, baby shark of it all. And just, like, the difference between trying to find shows that are just, like, viscerally bright and engaging for children, but that are also, like, mentally stimulating, as opposed to just being, like, aesthetically grabbing. Yeah. Yeah. I think Wishbone does a good job of being both as well, in the same way that, like, Sesame Street or The Electric Company did a really good job of being like fast-paced children's entertainment mm-hmm. with like bright poppy characters but that still had like substantial substance yeah sure yeah i like the end points in all of the episodes where he kind of like glazes over the uh, the book itself and then the production of that um i always like that educational part of it like you just like showing us how everything was done the production aspect in particular shannon and i were talking about this it's just so interesting about this was not a cheap show to make like wishbone was crazy expensive to film you had children on set you had animals on set and you had these sets that were like made for a dog actor acting with people we watched the the time machine episode Um, Bark to the Future, uh, Shannon's Nightmare. <laughs> and at the end of the episode on YouTube, then it has a whole thing with the art director who did um, the sets and the set design. And they were talking about how they designed the titular time machine to soccer's proportions. And oh. the whole thing's just so interesting so fascinating they mentioned too that like the only there there's like a very brief description of the time machine itself in the books and that was all they had to go off of like i think it's something like it has like glittering framework or something like that do you remember them mentioning that yeah and so like i think it's so cool like it's very by the book, like, they wanted to make all of this stuff so accurate to whatever they were doing. And I think, like, the costume design for everything was so well done. Like, it's it's probably not, like, the most historically accurate set of costumes. But, like, they have, like, the Regency cuts for yeah. Wishbone's Darcy suit in the Pride and Prejudice episode. Yes. Like, everything looks so accurate and so like well thought out mm-hmm. for a show with a dog <laughs> talking <laughs> about being a book character yes and that's so funny that you mentioned all of that because part of it kind of segues into what I have next and then I kind of want to go in I I have a little bit of from um the guy who did the costumes so yes, yes. Perfect. Um, But yeah, kind of to go back to what you were saying, the balance between um, 
attracting young children visually, but also, you know, trying to stimulate them. Another kind of, I don't know what you'd want to call it, but something that kind of interrupts that is... um, There's a lot of shows that were just motivated by money, generally. And I think Barney kind of was started with that sort of way. But then when it kind of picked up, they were like, oh, we should probably put like a little more effort into this. But a show that didn't have that happen was the Teletubbies. Um, The Teletubbies was like pretty much just done for money. Um, There was like kind of a little thought about like how kids were going to react to it and even like what they were going to do with it. Um, And it was kind of the space for PBS to create a new market where they were going to, you know, be able to sell Teletubbies. It was like a marketable thing. Um, And that's, you know, kind of to go back to what Bryn was saying, like, that's a clear contrast with Wishbone, where, you know, the dog was trying to introduce kids to literature and history. And so it's, it's just kind of gross when you think about like the motivations that get thrown on even to public service broadcasting television where most of it is like either government funded or funded by viewers like you yes uh, <laughs> we're gonna talk about and i'm excited i think we all remember the awful pledge drive yes. where you wouldn't get to watch any tv shows because it would just be like an hour of them talking about like we really appreciate it you was watching like three hours it was, <laughs> and it's always right when you get back home I don't yes. like lunch breaks, but now I'm like, I would it buy would just make people everything. On phones. We're, yes. we're going to do a deep dive mm, down that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's very interesting the, the difference between companies that are very interested in making engaging television for children versus selling them merchandise. And even now, I think it's interesting to see, like, who the Sesame Street company has, like, collaborated with to create new content. Because they're very, they have a deal with SeaWorld Mm. currently, where there's, like, Sesame Street down on the theme park locations. And they also have, like, their own, like, Sesame Place, like, theme parks and stuff like that. And so it's kind of, like... Sesame Street, I think, started out very purely. (laughs) There's, like, a whole entire book about this called, I think, The Sunny Side of the Street. Um, And I'd have to look up the author and everything. Uh But it talks about, like, the beginning of children's television in the, like, 1970s. And this, like, idea of, like, shows paired with educators who are trying to, like, create things for young children that are going to be relevant and also, like, engaging enough to keep them going versus, yeah, like, Teletubbies where it's, like, these are for much younger kids who aren't, like, uh, talking yet, who aren't, like... like, mind-numbing types of 
just like almost distraction. Yeah, kind that's of shows. How, in, how I've always felt about Teletubbies. I felt it in that way because um, it didn't really provide much. It doesn't provide much. Yeah, I think they did have some segments, kind of like Mister Rogers, where it was like, sure. "Oh, this is how like something is made," but it's sandwiched in this show that provides no other. Intro. Content. Baby. Yeah. Middle <laughs> uh, part, they eat pancakes. Part three, they, something breaks and they got to Yeah. <laughs> Evil vacuum? I don't know. Retract a baby face laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting thinking about the setup of that show versus the setup. And I, I would say Barney is similar as well, that I don't think there's a lot of, like, educational clout yeah. To Barney, mm-hmm. but it was very much like social clout, like teaching you how to interact with other people. Yeah. Right. But Same along with the network itself. Yeah. yeah. So it just makes you think about like the educators behind each of these, what kind of like child psychologists were going into Barney versus like literary educators were going into like Wishbone versus like right. the diversity stuff that was going into like Mr. Rogers and stuff like that because that one was very like everyone's a part of your neighborhood sort of thing. I think it's yeah. truly fascinating. <laughs> Give me goosebumps. Yeah, sorry for coming on to your episode and just talking about public broadcasting uh, no, and my gosh, children's uh, TV. I would not have it any other way. I love video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to think about, like, what some shows kind of culminate into. It's like they have their own little cults or something, like, like with Sesame Street and its parks. I mean, but just think about how, like, nowadays we were talking about Blue's Clues and the, the emotional attachment everyone had to Steve. And so last year, whenever the actor yeah. who played Steve came back and, like, did... His little spiel to all of us nowadays, like, the intense emotional connection you create with these characters whenever you're a child is just so, like, stimulating to a young kid. And I think you hit the point on the head, that's exactly what we're trying to do with the podcast, is, like, bring up those, well, at least partly uh, part of the podcast, um, bringing those touchstones, like, of our past or, you know, things like that. Like, P.S. was a, like, motherfucking cornerstone. Like, yeah. you know, my, my growing up, we just had, you know, antenna, cable, or whatever the fuck you call it. Yeah, right. So that's primarily what I would watch, and I was a child, so it's like, what the fuck else do I hate? I'm not gonna, like, turn it over to 13-2 and, and watch, uh, the fucking news or something, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah. All of us were watching like this, and then like antique roadshow and Nova because it was the <laughs> other stuff that was on. <laughs> well, was it was Reading Rainbow on PBS? Yeah, I believe I so. so. Was Bob Bross on PBS? Yes. Yes. So like, yeah. So like, Le- what's his name? Lavar Burton is that his name? And oh, yeah. Then they had some Bob. Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> they like, would have. Um, also, what's the other one? Um, they would have cooking shows. Oh, sure. right, right, right. They had yeah, they had the Julia Child reruns yeah. on PBS. Yeah, and like all of those would be going on during the day. I remember uh, Bob Ross in particular. My mom watched that while she was pregnant Aww. with my sister and I. 
And it's just like, yeah, I mean, like, these are like generational touchstones where my parents knew a lot about the shows that I was watching on TV and like could keep up with the the plot of Arthur and things like that. Right. Where they yeah. had like and like my mom's a huge classical music fan, so whenever Arthur had like Yo Yo Ma yes. on episodes, yes, yes. like she was genuinely like so into it. That was so cool. Yeah, I remember that episode. So, so. He's a little rabbit. Uh, so good. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I had quite a few characters on that show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think of who else. Like, I know Mark Brown was a voice at one point, but that's right. not super special. I'm trying to remember <laughs> the. There's a episode where Buster has just come back from like visiting his family, uh-huh. and it it goes into the whole like Buster spinoff thing. Like but there's show. like the postcards from yeah, Buster. Buster. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. Um, but there's a whole like parody thing with the singer on that episode that as a children or as a child like I never understood it's like this uh like folk singing guitarist deer who's like following Buster around (laughs) Buster Baxter went away and he came back I don't remember what it is but my mom found it so funny because she understood like this multi-level like joke that they were doing this like parody and I was like I don't know I just think the song is fun (laughs) he's a sad sad bunny yeah (laughs) Uh, that's fun oh wow wow Anyways. Woo. It was just me gushing That's about awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> children's <Wow>. television. <laughs> so, um, in 1990, the Children's Television Act required networks to host three hours of educational programming per week to maintain their licenses, but the meaning of educational was left open to interpretation. So, this is kind of like what this reading this instantly made me think of is what happened to the Learning Channel and what that turned into TLC and how that, you know, used to be like an educational channel. And then suddenly it's just like my 600 pound life or whatever. Uh, uh, Yeah. Or like uh, G4. Uh, It's like an old. Uh, yeah, video game video game. they went from video game based content, and like I think it was from the beginning of it, like 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 electronics as well. But then they shifted over to like cops and and uh, American Ninja Warrior. And, and oh, stuff like that. And they stopped doing like the video game content because that's not what was selling. That's People want to trash TV. <laughs> I mean, G4 was some trash, which I think I would love to do an episode on, but um, anyways. G4 had some good... uh, Cheat. A little cheat. They had good um, movie blocks. That was the first place I ever saw Tron. Nice. It was on G4. Yeah. Yeah. And they had some good, like, shows. I feel like I would watch shows where people would review games and movies, and I always enjoyed that. It's essentially Twitch before, like, Twitch really existed. Like, a mix between, like, Nintendo Power's, like, reviews with, like, gameplay, which was so... Like, pretty That's like marketing. breakthrough. Yeah. It's yeah. like marketing. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, you, you mentioned Twitch. It's, like, 
Oh, damn, I never thought of that. That's so true. Yeah, Brynn, you need to do that episode. (laughs) I don't think I know enough about G4, but uh, I think it's really funny, especially just like with the the laws and everything um, about how the funding would be cut for things like that, because in like 1970 or whatever, they were talking about funding for the for PBS in general, and that's the the famous Mr. Rogers um, congressional speech, oh. where he's talking about like why PBS deserves to be continued to be funded to right. like help children and promote like educational learning because he didn't think that a lot of other networks were doing good content on that front, and so it's just interesting how much that like continues on into nowadays yeah like the 1990s and everything where it's like you have to protect (laughs) this like purely educational or like minimal merchandising programs and be like well yeah they don't have like truly a a monetary like comeback maybe but they're important to the development of kids right Yeah. yeah i love that but um capitalism doesn't yeah <laughs> i mean and that's the reason why a lot of this stuff like wishbone was a super expensive television show to make so they got you know wiped out because pbs was losing funding in like the 90s so yeah and and that literally runs right into um so initially only 50 episodes of wishbone were produced and they were all filmed within a one-year time frame and then um they actually halted it for a while because it didn't have quote-unquote merchandising potential um and these were shows um that shows that did have merchandising potential were shows like Arthur and Barney. Um, and another, like, they really did Wishbone Dirty in another way, too. And I don't know if y'all remember this, but I do. And I think it's really weird, but PBS, like, would do this thing where it was just, like, a stream of, like, new episodes, like, whether it was every other week or every day, like, there would just, cons- like, consistently be new episodes. Right, right. Whereas, like, on Nickelodeon or Disney, I know, um, David, you mentioned you didn't have that for a while. But if you did, like, there, like, there would be pauses in between new episodes, much like right. seasonal shows we watch now, like Law & Order or whatever. Right. Um but they really did Wishbone Dirty because they, like, released it all at once instead of, like, giving it breaks. So, like, all of these new episodes were just consistently coming out and there wasn't, like, a pause to, like, I don't know, market Wishbone books, which they had at one point, you know, do, like, um, video releases. Like, I remember I had a DVD with, or not a DVD, a VHS with a bunch of Arthur episodes on it. They could have done something like that for Wishbone. Um, Like, they just didn't really give it a chance to... Find an audience. Find an audience and, and, like, to... Give it time to marinate. Yes, there you go. That's what I was kind of trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, like, I don't know. 
I have here that we pause P-A-W-S to talk about episodes that we remember. Um, But I don't know, just thinking about that in conjunction with everything else we've already talked about before we talk about episodes, like, it's just, it's weird because you would have thought, like, knowing that there were channels like Disney and Nickelodeon and I don't, yeah, I mean, even like Fox, NBC that are like doing all these different television strategies, you would think there would have been more marketing sense when it came to Wishbone. Well, I don't know if they would be considered, you know, I, well, I guess it wouldn't take much for them to maintain the children's, like the, that license that they have, like from that act. Um, but it seems like they wouldn't be under that, like, where you need to have educational content on Nickelodeon, Disney, or whatever the f- Whatever the other ones would be. Right, but well, you because could, they were funded by the the right. companies that uh, oversaw them. Yeah, like Disney fair, and fair. Fox and everything had like these big pushes behind them, whereas PBS, like it was like these little individual production companies making shows and giving them to PBS. And I don't think they were treated with like the dignity that they should be <laughs> treated with. Because right. even like Sesame Street uh, in Between the Lions, like, these early child shows that we were talking about, a lot of them were, like, day-to-day yeah. would be new episodes, which, like, yeah, you hear about them just giving, like, one big push to Wishbone, and it's kind of like, okay, well, <laughs> you know that, like, day-to-day works, why wouldn't you do this? And, like, I, I guess the answer is probably just, like, a lack of things to show instead but this is how you hear about like all these uh shows nowadays getting canceled is that whatever company owns it will just like do one big push of it and then be like okay well we showed all of your episodes we're not like that's our contract like we're done oh i get it so because it's gonna ultimately save the company itself money but it's not gonna like give the show any longevity like right they're not in it for the show they're in it for what they can get from it you hear about it with a lot of like cult classic shows nowadays that they just got screwed by the network shows like firefly on fox like where they they bought the rights for all of season one but then they played at like weird time slots or mm-hmm. just like yeah. out of order things like that which would a show like wishbone isn't super like problematic it's not a linear narrative or anything but yeah it's it just kind of screws the creators over and at the like distribution level they don't really have a say over any of it at that point so yeah yeah well that explains that as awful (laughs) as it is so to maybe think happier do we want to talk about some episodes of wishbone that we remember um, you know, back in the day, I didn't watch it whenever we were researching for it, but the Robin Hood episode was always a, a fave of mine um, growing up. I don't, I don't know what it was. Like, I was thinking about it earlier. We were talking about bright colors, and I always thought of Wishbone to be a little bit more, like, neutral, like, darker, like, tone. Very autumnal, like, rich mahogany yeah, is what I see in my head. Yeah, like, I'm seeing maroon. 
Yeah, yes. I wrote in my head right now. Which yep. I was like, Brent, you're Marine. I came dressed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the Robin Hood one. Uh, what about you, Brent? Most of the ones that I remember are like the weird colonial literature ones. So Rip Van Winkle really stands out to me. And then as a kid, I was terrified of the Legend of Sleepy <laughs> Hollow episode to the point where like I had nightmares after watching that episode. And later on in like fourth grade, we watched the uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad Disney oh, yeah. one. Oh, and I was shit. too scared to watch it. I got a note from my mom that said that, like, I could not watch this, and I went to the library while all the other kids watched this. And now it's, like, it's one of my favorites. Like, my, my phone case is oh Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Like, That's funny. And, but, yeah, I, I think Wishbone is why I like that sort of, like, colonial folklore uh, fantasy literature. I think it's well, so I definitely see Young Bryn. Like, Where's <laughs> my young Goodman right. Brown episode? <laughs> I am a <laughs> the devil. <laughs> uh, you know, okay, uh, I was gonna ask y'all, I'll say what some episodes I remember, but then I wanna ask y'all, um, like, what would have been an episode of Wishbone you wish could have been made? Ooh. So think about that. I so, <laughs> okay, <laughs> animal farm. <laughs> I was telling Brennan David this earlier. I distinctly remembered the Bark to the Future episode, which is about um, the Time Machine by H.G. Wells. And oh my gosh, there are these things called Murlocs, I think. Morlocks. Morlocks. And they're terrifying. And these ladies are wearing these pink dresses. And I wasn't even really sure what Wishbone was getting at in that whole thing because I was just really scared of the Morlocks. Um, (laughs) So I definitely remember that one. And then I rewatched it, but I also remembered the one where he was Hercules. That was really cute. It was adorable. And then um, some of the other ones I I rewatched were um, the the Bone of Arc episode where he sees Joan of Arc. And then... um, I'm trying to. Uh, I did rewatch Robin Hood. That was so cute too. Um, cute. Yeah, those are some of the ones I remembered and haunt me. I really remember all the Sherlock Holmes episodes too. Oh, I did watch one of those. Like there were several. I my sister was terrified of Hound of the Baskerville. I watched that one. The eyes and the more. It's weird. It was creepy. Yes. Um. I'm trying to. It was there a Great Gatsby wishbone episode? 
feel like I there should have been. So. <laughs> Wishbone is Gatsby. I could see it. Anna Karenina. Oh! Or The Road. Have you ever read that? Oh, God. <laughs> the Road would be a good one. Wuthering Heights. Heathcliff. Heathcliff. There's a wishbone on the other side of the window. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Any Edgar Allan Poe one would just be fine. Oh my god! <laughs> Do you guys wish they had done more like world literature? Because uh-huh. so most of the stuff on Wishbone is like Western canon. Yeah. I think they do like one Ananasi episode. Yes. So like a, a, I think South African. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry, uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly where from, but I know they did one Ananasi episode, and I think they did one that's Native American folklore, but I don't know what tribe, if they even mentioned a tribe on the episode. Um, I think it would be interesting to have more, like if they did like Gilgamesh, <laughs> you know, or like uh, what is the? I'm not gonna remember the name, but there's a really famous uh, Japanese one uh, that's like the first book ever written. Um, I have to look it up now. You're researching you. <laughs> I didn't do it beforehand. No, no, no. But yeah, I think it would be interesting to have more, like, world literature or, like, poetry would be interesting. Yeah. Oh, that would be. Beowulf. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, Ozymandias. Oh. Like. Yeah. Is there an Odyssey wishbone? Yes, there is. There is? Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't rewatch that, but... The Odyssey. I don't know if they did the Iliad. Oh, The Tale of Genji. By Murasaki Shikibu. Okay. And that's like the first piece, uh, the first novel essentially ever made. Interesting. Yeah. That would have been cool. Now that you mentioned it, though, there is a Don Quixote episode of Wishbone. I watched that. Which isn't, Wishbone's not Don Quixote in it, is No, he? he's like the, the friend. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's interesting. Like, I'm glad they did that. And then same with, like, Joan of Arc. Like, Wishbone was not Joan yeah. of Arc. <laughs> that's a good point. There are a few episodes where... where... He plays a supporting character rather yeah. than a main one. And those are those are sometimes some of the more interesting episodes, I think, too. Which I think you know, it can show kids you don't have to be like the star of the show. Show, yeah. right? Interesting. Um, so we were we mentioned this earlier, but like, so after episodes of Wishbone, they would do kind of like a behind the scenes, whether it was like for the particular episode, costumes, a design, something like that. Um, and I watched an episode where it had a behind the scenes and it showed the actors auditioning and they were auditioning with Wishbone. Like, and I'm just like, love it. Wondering how, like, how do you, how is the casting director reacting? Like, does this person have chemistry with Wishbone? I mean, they kind of talked about, we watched the Romeo and Juliet episode right before this and they were talking about how they have, 
like a, a set of actors that it seems played a lot of the literary characters. Right. Um, and we, we noticed that like Juliet is in several other episodes. Uh, she's also Joan of Arc in the Joan of Arc episode. And she's also um, Carolyn Bingley yes. in the Pride and Prejudice episode. Yeah. And so, yeah, I thought that was super fascinating. That was apparently the small cast and they all like audition for different parts within the show, I guess. Yeah, that was the impression I got. Yeah, and they all do other stuff too, like the that same actress, um, Jeanne Simpson, I think is her name. Um, she also did the choreography yeah. for the dances for the Pride and Prejudice episode, like the Regency style dances. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't I didn't mention this in the research at all, but I was thinking about that when they mentioned choreography. Like I wonder how that works with Wishbone too. Like I imagine there has to be a lot of thought put into that, like how you're going to like have people interact with him and have him right. move. Because you would have to do like pre-visuals, I think, essentially, yeah. for the dog trainer to be able to be like, okay, soccer, like these are your marks, let's train to get you on these sets and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like choreographing a fight scene with Jackie Chan, and you're like, all right, Jackie, do this. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I was I was thinking about that though after you mentioned that, like how just just the thought that had to go into that and it's funny too because like this kind of leads in like in that Romeo and Juliet episode and Bryn kind of mentioned this earlier there are some really elaborate costumes and they do like seem to relatively match the time frame like there was nothing that we're like pointing at like oh zippers didn't exist then or something like nothing's really stand out (laughs) of you being like whoa this is like a gorgeous costume it's the, it's no like Anna Karenina like dresses or like the atonement green dress or whatever. Yeah, but I mean, I will say I do think, and you mentioned Wishbone in the uh, Pride and Prejudice episode. Like, I do think that Wishbone has some costumes that stand out, and it's interesting to think about too. Um, so Stephen Cujay, um was the costume designer for Wishbone, and um, he would render these tiny outfits out of rich fabrics and just like focus on these insane details um such as like cutaway lapels and arrow point collars like you mentioned earlier <laughs> like he clearly knows historical silhouette which is just so fascinating yeah he applied it to like this very small costume and so Gucci says like he imagines like what Wishbone's fantasy would be and that's what he creates. Um and Kuje, like he actually won a daytime a daytime Emmy for his costuming. Um it says of his creations, a hundred and 40 of them that were fashioned for Wishbone's first 40 episodes um, were kept in this huge room in Big Feet's entertainment. Um, so this tiny dog, all of his costumes are stored in this huge room. Um, and that included like these tiny feather hats, um, a miniature quiver of arrows, and um, and all these different props as well, um, which were all designed by Kujay. Um, and he says, so this is, these are Kujay's words. Wishbone's needs come first. He must be unencumbered enough to move 
comfortably and easily because he does act. Kuje said, he does act. <laughs> it's true. The part of the article, because he says it twice, he's like, that dog acts. <laughs> like, I can just picture this costumer. Like, that dog is his whole world, and I love it. That dog is his news. <laughs> like, isn't that amazing? I just, it's funny to think about, like, all of these different people this dog affected. Like, in all of the different ways. Yeah. I hope he knows he was a good boy. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. So, um, oh, so Wishbone, or uh, the dog who plays him, is named Soccer, and he was trained by Jackie Capton. Maybe. Um, and he won the role of Wishbone because he could jump and backflip. And so, I don't know. I thought that was really cute. <laughs> um, and I imagine um, if he was a Jack Russell Terrier, he probably was what the creator had in mind as well. Um, yeah, he's a little biased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, hey, I'm not complaining. Wishbone is in our hearts. Um, But Wishbone, obviously, or soccer, he couldn't be everywhere all at once. And so, although he was in, like, um, the bulk of what we see on Wishbone on the television show, um, the studio also employed three other Jack Russell Terriers for stunts. And their names were Phoebe, Slugger, and Shiner. Um, and then they had another one that was just for publicity stills, and his name was Bear. <laughs> Aww, I love him. I don't. I didn't read in to see if these dogs were like all friends, but how cute! So awesome. <laughs> they were a pack, a pack of wishbones. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh. They all have the little paw print on their ears. Yeah. Talking about we had to use human actors. Um, so in between, uh, the first and second seasons of Wishbone, Soccer hit the road on a publicity tour. He hit malls across America, greeting fans from a red armchair. And for some reason, when I picture this, I just picture, um, the narrator from Rocky Horror, like, and that's oh what Wishbone looks like in his little armchair. <laughs> um... And let's just say soccer was treated with royalty. Um, while traveling, he flew first class, stayed in four-star hotels, and even had his own security detail. Um, people noted that the handlers even gave soccer a code name, the president. Yeah. I, love I love that for him. Yeah, me too. And then, David, I think you actually found this piece about how Larry Brantley... Um, the voice of Wishbone, how he got the job. Yeah? You want me to read it? Yeah. Okay, so it says, quote, The weirdest audition I think I've ever been or will ever be... What? <laughs> the, the weirdest audition I think that's... Ever been ever or... Been <laughs> will be. Um, I didn't know what the dog looked like, and they give me barest, the barest of information. There's going to be this great new kid show with this dog, and 
that talks, uh, and we want you to come in, and we want you to be funny. <laughs> uh, so I went to the first audition having no idea what to do. In the callback, uh, I got to meet soccer for the first time. It was a five-minute impromptu audition. I never really read from a script. Uh, I was supposed to, but I didn't. Rick Duffield, mm -hmm. uh, the executive producer, said, uh, well, watch the dog and just follow along and see what he's doing right now. Stalker was obsessing over a tennis ball, and he was, wasn't interested in Rick Duffield's or me or anybody else in the room. It was like a tennis ball. <laughs> he would stare at the tennis ball. I want the tennis ball. <laughs> so it was like five minutes about a tennis ball. And I walked out of the audition saying, I can't believe I just did five minutes about a tennis ball. And I, then I got the job. Uh, we, we may never understand. <laughs> so yeah, that kind of adds a little bit to what Bryn was saying earlier about uh, Larry just doing this voice for Wishbone. And... Um, <laughs> So I, th I think we may have mentioned this earlier too, but he would also ad lib um, when the dog made a motion that necessitated for for a comment. Um, so like, for instance, if Wishbone raised his ear up for some reason, or, you know, I think Bryn mentioned earlier with the collar, he was trying to get it off. Um, and then he would also uh, ad lib if he needed to fill time. Or if um, soccer hit his mark slightly off schedule. So I think we actually may have witnessed this earlier when we were watching the Hunchback episode where um, she offered him water. I don't know if you noticed, but he kept saying like, oh, I, I really, really thank you. Like he kept saying it over and over again. Um, and it was really cute, but you could kind of tell it was to fill time. Um I made Brendan, Brendan David watch a little bit of an episode called uh, First Impressions, and it's spelled F-U-R-S-T, which is adorable. David was saying a lot of these titles have puns, and it's the best. Um, <clears throat> so this episode came out in 1995, and I found an article someone had written about it. It was like an academic article, and I just thought it was the most amazing thing Um and the author writes um, that this episode is one of the few adaptations of Pride and Prejudice that has not received much critical attention. Although it's um, for many of, of, it says today's college students, but maybe we should say our generation's college students, um, it served as kind of an introduction to the novel. Um, it was like our first, you know, interaction with it. And... Um, the author goes on to say the wishbone episode is not only appropriate for children, but lacks many of the Hollywood cliches and the harlequinizations that frustrate scholars about Austin films aimed at adults. And um, like the 1940s screwball comedy that it most resembles, First Impressions presents Elizabeth Bennett and Darcy as moral and intellectual equals who are divided by exaggerated class differences that are nonetheless easily overcome. This lighthearted approach to the romance allows the episode to focus on lessons about overcoming social fears and dispelling rumors. 
elements from the novel downplayed in versions focusing on the highly romanticized love story. And I just thought that was interesting because I think there's a lot of Wishbone episodes that do that, that kind of, you know, focus on the morality of it or, I don't know, just kind of like the less, like with Romeo and Juliet that we watched too, you know, it's it's not a centered around like Romeo and Juliet's love it's more like the journey that gets them there yeah and we kind of mentioned uh like the weird segues between whatever's going on with Joe the modern day family and whatever's happening in like the stories and how sometimes it's kind of like okay like sure sure yeah but like yeah at the end of the day they're just there to serve like an underscore to whatever like the moral of the story is whether it's like class or like not taking people not taking your first impressions of people or whatever to heart or whatever the Rip Van Winkle one is supposed to be. I don't really. <laughs> Some of them are a little more out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do stitch them together very interestingly. Um, like even the, <laughs> what was it, the Tempest episode that I said that I watched. Uh, I did, they were putting on this play of, I think it was, I don't know, I don't know if it was the Tempest uh, it was some another Shakespeare mm-hmm. play, um, but then he like went to the Tempest because it related to the backstage manager's relationship with Joe and David and like what, what are the two bullies' names? Uh, Demont. Demont. And, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember the other one. Yeah, I want to say Chris, but no. Um, anyways, but Demont's in the headless. It's just it's hard. To, it's hard to. I don't know. I feel like in that situation, you kind of muddle it, bringing two separate, I don't know, arcs, themes into it. Um, It can, I think, make it more confusing (laughs) in some cases. At least it did for me in that that little tiny episode that I watched. Yeah, the Headless Horseman one is about, um, like, not holding uh, absolute to, like, superstition. Um, because in that episode, Joe is, like, very superstitious about, like, he always wears the same practice shoes, the basketball. He's always had a bad time on Halloween. All this stuff has happened. So now he doesn't like celebrating Halloween and he doesn't want to <laughs> go out on a scavenger hunt with Sam and David. And the whole thing is about him learning that, like, oh, it doesn't matter. I can't keep superstition from keeping me living my life. And, yeah, in Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Ichabod Crane uh, is thinly veiled to have died or (laughs) (laughs) because of his superstitions or just have left town very suddenly because of them. Yeah, and I was going to say, too, something uh, Bryn mentioned a second ago, how it's interesting because earlier I was thinking, like, whoa, they are making a stretch comparing the kids' stories to, like, whatever literature story. Um, so are we good? Yeah, yeah, you can okay. <laughs> um, So, uh, I was thinking about what, what Bryn said earlier. She, You mentioned something like, um, 
sorry, like how the weird episode relations between like the wishbone story, the literature story, and then Joe's life. Yeah, but then it's like the main idea or the theme or the moral that you're supposed to take away that does, I think, come through in the kids story that sort of makes sense to like the kids watching in a way that then helps them to connect it to the literature which Ben's talking about so I I think in that way I do kind of get it a little bit better now because there were definitely some episodes where I was like they are reaching like in the The hunchback hunchback, (laughs) but also in the um, Bone of Arc the Joan of Arc episode um, so it's Joan of Arc and then the like side story is like I think Sam's trying to be on the boys soccer team or something like that like and I was watching it kind of like okay here's this woman who's like fighting for a country and then this girl who's playing soccer like in my head I was like uh like not really seeing the connection there but then when you think about it I was like okay Sam like stuck to her guns and like overcame this like misogynistic expectations yeah exactly like I think in that way you can get like how for kids that's going to make more sense to them maybe kids are already starting to glean this sort of thing during the episode in itself it doesn't even have to be you know related to a story or you know how, how i don't know tied it would typically be i don't know if that makes yeah sense. i get what you're saying like you could have just like an episode just about what was going on with the kids and, and not have like this like a literary component to it but the fact that they do is what like teaches kids about this sort of classical literature like modernizes it to a point where kids maybe yeah can relate more to it than they can to like when you're reading Romeo and Juliet I think everyone was just like oh these kids are stupid but then when you think about like their actual ages and like the actual like class systems keeping them apart it's more like poignant you're like, oh, that's what Shakespeare meant by it. <laughs> yeah, and, and then that's interesting to think, too, because the wishbone is Romeo in that instance. And, yeah. like, the real-life story, too, he is also still kind of the Romeo with Rosie, the dog. And it's funny, like, wishbone, you know, lives with Joe and Rosie's stuck at the pound. <laughs> like, yeah. Awkward. <laughs> and they're really talking about how she could be put down. Like. Yeah, it's definitely a kill shelter. <laughs> without any resolution. Like, I think someone a, adopted I her. I think we missed it saying she got adopted. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I joked that she was euthanized. Uh, okay, I think I right over that, that scene. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, Wishbone can get pretty dark. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even in the Pride and Prejudice episode, yeah. just the... It being so, like, oh, yeah, this is 100% a class issue yeah. between all of this, as opposed to, like, you said in that academic article, it's like, oh, 2004's, like, Pride and Prejudice, it's all love. It's yeah. all love. And instead of being, like, 
oh no, they're from very different worlds. And that's why like, this is so poignant is that they overcome that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And then like Joan of Arc literally being burned on screen <laughs> and then just like kind of panning away from it. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's yeah. just, I'm in. they go hard, you know, they are wishbone. If you see these stuff in your front here. <laughs> Which bone bad to the bone. Yeah, oh my gosh. Another episode title. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to move away from Wishbone a little bit. Um, like Fred mentioned earlier, Wishbone was brought to you by viewers like you. Um, and so PBS Channel 13, where we are, would have these fundraising weeks and they would air different shows during um, after school hours a time that was usually designated to children's shows. So this is when we were watching Arthur Wishbone Zoom. Um, but instead, the channel would broadcast uh, repeat episodes of primetime shows um, in order to attract viewers who were more likely to donate, which I don't get. <laughs> like, I feel like parents like appreciated PBS because it gave their kids something educational to watch. So if their kids had been allowed to watch, like, mm. Wishbone, they might have been more inclined to donate. <laughs> Just, I didn't want to watch people on call banks for, <laughs> on phone banks for three hours. Right. Um, so I found that during one week during 1996, like during this, um, time where they were showing primetime shows instead of children's television, um, the after school hours featured, um, great performances, a show called Straight Talk on Menopause, and a show called Mozart by the Masters. Um, Which I will say, I, I did love Mozart and the Masters. <laughs> that was big in my family. Um, in the 90s, the station would earn $100,000 or more during the pledge period of these afternoon reruns. Did any of your families pledge to PBS? I believe my mom did at least one. She may have done it more than one year. Because yeah. I feel like we got something from them in exchange. Yeah, I remember yeah. that there were definitely like... Prizes. Yeah, yeah. Swag bags, I guess is the best way to describe it. Yeah, that was just like, thanks for funding. Yeah, KERA, I think, is our PBS. I don't yes. know if that's the same. I think different states yeah. have different letters. Yeah. <laughs> we, it's all funded by the same one. KERA, um, North Texas, I think. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. um, National Public Radio, they're like under that umbrella as well. Yeah. Okay. And I think Houston's is a little bit different yeah, as well. But then they got WAMU and, and Washington and shit like that. So, right. Uh, anyways. Yeah, so this kind of goes along um, with what's David saying and what we were saying earlier, um, like public radio, American public television is premised on the idea that stations should be independently owned and operated to further the full exercise of the First Amendment freedoms. Um, at the White House signing ceremony for the Public Broadcasting Act of 1967, President Lyndon B. Johnson said, at its best, public television would help make our nation a replica of the old Greek marketplace where public affairs took place in view of all the citizens. 
But in weak or even in irresponsible hands, it could generate controversy without understanding. It could mislead as well as teach. What do y'all think about that? Um, I mean, I think we've been kind of talking about just like children's television in general and about the the dualism of like this very educational very like supported by academia thought on like what is appropriate for kids and what's going to help further like their educations or just their development in general versus like more merchandise based television shows and I think that's kind of the idea but then as you'll talk about a little bit later like we have seen some of the repercussions of taking away funding from more controversial content yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's interesting that is interesting I like I like the Greek marketplace analogy that they have I I don't know. That's uh, hard to describe. That's a hard one to describe because it's like I remember I philosophy class at UNT, and it kind of felt the same way. A little preachy, a little. Uh, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I may have gone away exactly from the uh, original topic, but it's just that's what stuck out to me. Um, it being like each of these shows in its own little like. Uh, soapbox yeah. you know and the, they can um, I don't know you pick and choose which ones you like like I loved Arthur and Cyber Chase so that's I a would great be, way to put that I would be on the Cyber Chase soapbox <laughs> <laughs> that's like awesome guys we're doing a Cyber Chase episode <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean like each one of them when you think about it, like, all the morals that they're talking about in all of these episodes, like, they're quote-unquote universal, but at the same time, like, a lot of them are, like, liberal morals, I would say. Like, the idea of, like, everyone is connected, everything you do connects other people, like, you should be aware of, like, class issues and classism and try and break that down. Like, I 100% support all of this kind of stuff, but at the same time, like, this isn't... It's not a universal moral. It's like a... It is kind of like liberal propaganda. (laughs) So, like, I I remember what I was going to say earlier. You were mentioning these academic... I can't remember which one of you said. Academics, these... Um, educators who just want to make you know entertaining children's content, they essentially had to team up with capitalists to ensure that yeah they could get their message out there, so to speak. Um, and it makes me think that duality between the two. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like these are publicly funded, but at the end of the day, like they do need to make money. (laughs) Like Lucky Feats doesn't exist anymore, right? um, Because they produced a lot of shows, but at the end of the day, it like wasn't enough to keep them open. So, it's like if they had teamed up with, you know, like 
not the Sesame Street Company. I think that's a bad example, but like Nickelodeon or something like that, or yeah. Mattel. Foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but if they did like really go hard on the merchandising opportunities and trying to make it that sort of show instead of like focusing on, oh, these are works of literature and support like your local publicly funded libraries, like. And that's, Is that's, it one, that's one thing that, you know, every time I have um, a job interview, like in higher education, I always tell them, I'm like, yo, like, I'm in this industry for, like, comparatively with the corporate world where it's like money, money, money for mm-hmm. capitalism, it, for like academics and higher ed, it's learn, learn, learn. And I put this, I put that same, like, onus on. PBS, KDRA, NPR, shit like that. Um, I, I have that same like to you know thinking about it, but that's um, one. Yeah, I I see what you mean, but I just think it's unfortunate because I think even now, still with with PBS, you can see the shift in shows. It's it's yeah. not what it used to be, oh, right? No. Yeah, just like you were kind of mentioning with TLC, the the Learning Channel, and even like Animal Planet or Discovery. yeah, there you yeah, go. Sci-fi. I think Animal, oh, sci-fi, yeah, for sure. But like Animal Planet in particular used yeah. to be like very focused on uh, like Steve Irwin, yes. Jacques Cousteau, like that sort of like super uh, conservation heavy, education heavy like content, and then like. They moved on to, oh, like, funny animal videos. And then it moved on to, like, oh, reality television about the animals. dog whisper. Like, yeah. What? And just, like, this all, like, tentatively connected and kind of more exploitative <laughs> content. Is, that's interesting now that you say that, too, because I was thinking about this earlier, but I wasn't sure how it fit in. But we definitely, like, I think the most obvious obvious example is with MTV, right? Like, music videos into this reality trash. Like, uh, and and it and that goes back into like, oh, like we can get you know twenty women to go after these two guys, like not pay them, but create ten episodes or whatever, and then be done with all of it. And right, yeah, yeah. And the the rise of like after the writers' strike, the rise of reality television in general mm-hmm. is such a massive so, so like structured. Yes. Yeah, and the fact that like you don't have to pay writers and you don't have to pay costumers, for example, like The Bachelor, you have to buy all your own makeup and dresses and everything if you decide to be on a contestant on that. Yeah, and it's so cheap to make because you're renting out like a location for maybe like a month. Yeah. Yeah. And like setting up cameras and stuff in it but it's so much cheaper than like having a multi-camera like show with writers and actors right. and moving parts yeah and, comparatively with you know yeah like, like what you would get honestly i've been watching lately on netflix uh it a 20-something austin show oh yeah um <laughs> i love it it's awesome <laughs> um but i was thinking like damn I want to make a reality TV show that seems so simple. Like, so... I mean, I'm sure there's a lead, you know, like, some creative drama or something. 
that would be fun. But like at the same time, like all of us, I think are reality television fans. Shanna and I yeah. both oh, are yeah. huge yeah. Survivor yeah. people. Like, mm-hmm. so we like. Love Jersey Shore. Yeah, like the real world, all that kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. I love loved The Bachelor. <laughs> things yeah, like that. yeah. I but it and, but then like I don't know if you've watched this twenty somethings Austin show. Like there's literally zero structure to it. They just yeah. threw all these people in a house and were like, live your lives. Like yep. yep. And it literally, like, I think you mentioned it before, like, renting out, like, uh, the bachelor, bachelorette, like, renting out his face or whatever. I like, all I did is, like, for three, I think, maybe, I don't know how long they've done the show for. I think it was, like, three months. That's how long they had it. So just rent of Airbnb for, like, you know, three months and just have people live in it. And then, you know, you'll reap the benefits afterwards once it's you know, published or whatever. But, yeah, that's... Anyway, sorry, we got on a tangent. But it's like, uh, the reason I mentioned that is because, like, I, one, a defense for Survivor is the structure that's involved in it. It's yeah. like, the, it does, like, keep you on your toes as a viewer. And even The Bachelor has, like, slightly more structure than, like, this. Yeah. And it's just showing, like, what it's going to just keep evolving into to the point where it's like there aren't there isn't even going to be like a camera crew it's just going to be people like with cameras on themselves like Which, that's going to yeah, be yeah. <laughs> people yeah. just videoing themselves like the Pokemon I, I, I mean there's so many there's so many people out there who do that same thing like now that's just their lives on Twitch yeah they don't even play games or anything which is I would assume the main, like, function of Twitch would be to watch video games, but... Yeah, but, like, the Just Chatting section, I think it's Amaranth is her name. She's, like, super famous, and she just, like, yesterday, I think, she was uh, streaming just her in a bikini playing Jenga and chatting with chat. Yeah. And it's just, like, that sort of, like... That's reality. That's reality. And it's that need for connection. Like, you're connecting with this person that you don't know, like... Yeah. But you think that you have that genuine connection with them. You're also commodifying yourself, though, like, and... Oh, yeah. She's really big on OnlyFans. Yeah. It's, like, kind of where her claim to fame is right now. I think I know who you're talking about, and I haven't watched it, but there's, like, a Vice documentary about her. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) She's Um, fascinating, I think. But it's just, there's something about that like need for attention that doesn't sit well with me and I think too it's why it's disappointing to me because when you ask kids about like what shows they're watching like I only know a few children but like one of them watches Bippy on YouTube and like I, they don't really like anything that kids watch it's like YouTube you don't hear them name like Arthur or like Show Yeah. I know my mom's like a kindergarten teacher and so she still hears like the the big ones like Paw Patrol or okay. like Mickey Mouse Playhouse sort of thing, Mickey Mouse Racers. But Racers, like what? It's Mario Kart, but <laughs> Mickey Mouse <laughs> and <Mickey> friendly. <laughs> Less swearing. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's it's very interesting, I think, the the trend in going to more like um 
back-end happy production where it's less like initial pre-visualization and less writers versus a lot of editing and a lot of marketing yeah and sort of the change between doing like we were talking about like with wishbone how it's very it clearly has to be like a lot of rehearsals and things like that to make sure soccer's in his right place and like doing everything and like making the costumes and stuff but like comparatively it's so much cheaper to like maybe cg some like wardrobe malfunctions and just edit like an interesting narrative into a show like the real world where it's just people standing around talking and living their lives yeah yeah no it's interesting i liked it that was a unique tangent um so anyways (laughs) um so i guess like what was happening um in the late 60s early 70s is um public broadcasting was kind of pushing its limits as to what they could air um and so i guess at one point there was a show called vd blues and it was a frank look at venereal disease in an area when the subject was usually only um, discussed in doctor's offices. Um, this show angered White House operatives who thought public television had gone too far. Um, in 1972, Nixon vetoed a two-year funding measure for public television and radio. In protest, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting... Um, President and former Republican representative Thomas Curtis and several board members resigned. (coughs) Nixon then appointed board members who directed monies to high culture, politically uncontroversial programs. Ironically, public television's gavel-to-gavel coverage of the Senate and House committee hearings into the Watergate scandal that led to Nixon's 1974 resignation (laughs) Calvinize the viewing audience. Public broadcasting's commitment to programming that would provoke debate and stir the public pulse was rejuvenated. I just thought that was great. <laughs> like... Yeah, but I think that kind of goes into what uh, we mentioned earlier with your quote um, from Lyndon B. Johnson about the public forum yeah. aspect of being able to have these conversations on like public broadcasting and to be able to like you need all sides of it like as much as we want these high culture shows to be in at the end of the day like it's not real like I think it is more beneficial to have like a talk about menopause or a talk about like venereal diseases and different sexually transmitted diseases because these are things that aren't like allowed to be discussed in polite society yeah yeah i definitely agree with that and you're right like it's interesting that um you know a disease would be criticized when it's like science but then again it's like the coronavirus i I think we're saying nowadays that like just because it's science doesn't mean that people are willing to go all in on it I still know a lot of people who have gotten the vaccine, but, like, don't want to get the booster shot because they're scared there will be side effects. I'm like, you got one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's interesting, though, how 
these patterns just continue and it is a matter of like the media kind of controlling our perceptions to it but right i don't know as is pbs doing coronavirus coverage i i'm gonna be honest that's not like a source i would default to like check true uh i don't even know if pbs or KERA in our area still does news coverage, or if they only do uh, show broadcasts now. Yeah, well, so that's a good point. They did used to have, like, news. Yeah, but I, I would say, like, they maybe had, from what I remember, 30 minutes to an hour of daily news. And then for the most part, it was educational shows, in the evenings, like Nova and things like Antique Roadshow yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Or like, uh, yeah, the original DIY <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the original house flipper thing. Right. Like this old right. house. Fix, fix this house. Or what, oh, yeah. But I mean, even this old house. Yeah. But even. PBS has gotten into, like, reality television before. I don't know if y'all remember, like, Pioneer House or 1840s House. Yeah. Was that, like, a reality show? Yeah, where they would have these people go and, like, homestead, essentially. They'd be like, okay, we're going to drop you off, like, essentially in this field. And you're going to have to, like, build your own home, get your own water. You're going to be wearing the clothes of the time. We'll send a teacher in so that you can, like, see how the teaching system worked in, like, these small villages and everything. But it was, like, a multi-camera reality show. Wow. It was fascinating. Yeah. You can still see how it had, like, like, several educational components. But it's, like, it's the veneer of an educational component, you know, in the same way that like King of the Jungle on Animal Planet had the veneer of being an educational reality TV show when in fact it was just like people stepping into kiddie pools with like nurse sharks in them. <laughs> like <laughs> that's the challenge. Oh yeah, but like if you're dressing like the people dressed and like yeah. learning their education system, that's a little more complex, I feel like. I don't know. I mean, I agree. I, I loved both of these shows, King of the Jungle and all the <laughs> Pioneer House, 1840s house sort of stuff. But it's like, if you're going to draw the line, where are you going to draw the line? Yeah. Out of being valuable entertainment. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, we clearly appreciate entertainment that seemed invaluable. <laughs> <laughs> Wishbone. <laughs> Not funded <laughs> past season two. So here we are. <laughs> um, David, any thoughts before we jump into conspiracy corner? No, I don't think so. I think that yeah, you did bring up a good point about the time slots. Um, like the news always did come on because I remember very vividly. Like I remember whenever it would be like the afternoon, kids' block was over, and it's like five o'clock, and parents are getting home, and. <coughs> it's like fuck this I'm out <laughs> yeah, it's like no more cyber chase for you right? we're going all in on antique road show oh my god that's so just hard. the one I remember the most to be oh, quite yeah. honest I remember antique road show very well I feel like it was 
on like after like all the kids shows and then it would also be on like in the morning on the weekends and on yeah weekends in particular it was like okay i guess i'm watching a marathon of antique road show just all day that's why my sister and i liked reading so much is because we were so bored by antique road you just had to go do something else Oh, beautiful. Did you guys watch a lot of the, like, adult programming on PBS? I would watch Nova. Nova? (laughs) I wasn't allowed to watch Nova, I don't think. (coughs) Why? I don't remember. I think maybe it was, like, they had, like, some intense episodes, and my parents were just like, "Uh, yeah, and so they were just like, you can watch some of it, but... um, I'm not even sure what Nova is. It's just like a... A science program. Yeah, just they go up to one topic each... Like, typically a space topic, you know, being Nova or whatever, but, like, yeah. it would go to, like... They had, like, volcano like, episodes and stuff, too. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's actually very good. I highly well, recommend like, it I nowadays, think, but... Like, the point of it is, like, it's, like, Earth... Earth <laughs> science. Yeah, 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 something like that. Mm-hmm. That's Earth cool. Yeah. yeah. But, like, yeah, I barely remember that in comparison to fucking antiquity. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. I didn't even really, like, watch Bob Ross when it was on. Like, I knew of it, but... Yeah, I don't think I watched it, really. I think I... From the womb. <laughs> I heard about it more. That's funny. Okay, so then we will move into our conspiracy corner. I don't know if we actually hit the nail on the head of what the conspiracy is, but I know there's something here. Okay. Um, so in July of some year, I, I actually think it was recent. I don't know why I didn't put the year in here. I think I want to say it was like July 2019. Mattel Films and Universal Pictures announced that they would develop a movie based on Wishbone. Um... The tale of a little dog with a big imagination, um, and they I, they really wanted to appeal to fans who grew up on the show and uh, things like that, but fans, like, weren't really sure what to think about that. Um, while some people were happy to hear about a new Wishbone, others raised an eyebrow that the film will be helmed by producer Peter Farley, um, who I guess produced There's Something About Mary. Um, and they're working on a script by Roy, Roy Parker, who um, doesn't have any screenplays under his belt. So people are kind of like, what are they doing with the movie? Um, and most particularly is noticeable is that Universal and Mattel did not hire the original Wishbone team. Um, and the team had actually recently pitched a new TV project, um, based around Wishbone. So they're planning this whole movie about Wishbone without its creators, with people who haven't really done all that much. And it's very questionable. And this isn't even a matter of, like, maybe these people aren't in the industry anymore. I know one of the writers is also doing um, Hilda on Netflix. Ah, yes. Yeah. Um, That's a great kid show. It's wonderful. It's so good and so, like, imaginative and everything. It's very, like, this dual life 
sort of between her real life, the main character Hilda's life, and then these like magical creatures. And uh, I think it's based in it's in some Scandinavian country. I think it might be Norway. Um, but yeah, and so yeah. she's been working on that. I think she she wrote a lot for Arthur whenever yeah, it was I read on. That. Yeah, and so like it, it isn't a matter of like these people not being available. I think even the the voice actor for Wishbone. Mm-hmm is still working and still interested. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so um, the first assistant director on the original Wishbone, his name was Joey Stewart, and he actually initiated (laughs) an idea for a reboot in 2015, Um, and he... uh, suggested to one of the producers, Betty Buckley, that they should try to acquire the rights to the series from Mattel. And Mattel acquired the rights to Wishbone um, in 2011, but they hadn't done anything with it. Um, I also want to clarify for any Broadway nerds, it is not the same Betty Buckley. Yeah, no, sorry. Um... (laughs) But it, this Buddy Buckley is actually a film structure at Texas State University um, and an independent producer. And um, like Bryn just mentioned, Larry Brantley, the voice of Wishbone, went to Betty Buckley wanting to be involved in like a reboot of the show. Um, and also one of the uh, writers and supervisors, Stephanie Simpson. Yeah, that's the, <clears throat> the one who's currently writing for Hilda. Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, so Simpson said that they wanted to do a reboot with her um, because most of the concept um, that, you know, was created around Wishbone had come from Simpson. Um, let's see. So Simpson says, we did go into the Mattel building a couple of times, but whenever they were there, it just kind of felt like Wishbone was locked in a basement. Um, and they can't seem to get Wishbone out of Mattel's basement. Um, it says now, even if Wishbone breaks out to appear on the big screen, the new production would likely lack the voices of, um, those who originally created Wishbone. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of Mattel is dangerous, I think. Yeah, yeah, because they were doing that. We're doing that. Uh, they did that Battleship movie. Oh my uh, god, correct. <laughs> awful. And if they do anything like that to Wishbone, I think me and Mattel might have a problem. I mean, I don't even know what I'd imagine they'd make at this. Just a full length. Episode of Wishbone, you would think? Because there is a... I think Showtime did, like, a TV movie sort of thing. Really? Yeah, it's like a Western one. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And it was made a while later. But, like, yeah, it's like, what would you adapt? What would you guys want if you were going to go see a Wishbone movie? (sighs) That's a lot that's a lot that I don't think I can give an answer for. The Lord of the Flies episode would be good. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Lord of the, the Rings. Rings. <laughs> can you oh, imagine a Lord awesome. of the Rings episode? Oh awesome. my gosh, I would die. Oh, yes, He's okay. all the characters. It's <laughs> just all these Jack Russell Terriers. It's yes. Shiner. It's, 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 it's Paige. Bear. It's Bear. <laughs> 
Yeah, oh my god, yes. You showed up. I would watch a 100% dog (laughs) version of Lord of the Rings. Me too, me too. I love it. But yeah, because I'm just imagining, I know there's the the Clifford movie coming out soon, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Oh, that already came out. Came came in when? Whoops. Clifford's another big, like, big one. Was that all Another big dog? Yes, it was. (laughs) But yeah, so it's like I don't. I don't think y'all would have seen it, did you? The Clifford movie. No, I I, like Paddington. Like all these kind of like kids' properties, where it's kind of like allegedly Paddington has like one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and is like supposed to be one of the best movies in the world. Well, I hope they give. To I've come over to Wishbone. Oh <laughs> Cannot confirm. The special it's effects like, are cool. I know of Rodeo Studios did the special that, effects. That's funny. I just don't know if you would be able to pull off a Wishbone thing. It's just structured differently. No. I mean, it'd be fun to see Wishbone as Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, would they do something some more modern? Literature? Do you think? Uh, that would be fun. Girl on I the just... Train. Oh! <laughs> Where he's the, the cheating, murdering husband. <laughs> Gone Girl. <laughs> no! No! Yes. Oh my god. Twilight? Oh my god, that's good, that's good. We just... I would also watch a wishbone where wishbone is Edward Cullen. Yes. Because it makes too much sense he'd be Jacob. But I would need Kristen Stewart to revive her role. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, so I guess that kind of moves us in. We have another, a newer segment called Thinking Cat. The Thinking Cat. I just only put one uh, thing here because we were talking about the possible revival, but if they brought back Wishbone, um, who would you want the other dog to, like, they're inserting another dog. This is just written in the bylaws of Wishbone. Uh, they have to add another dog. What type of dog breed would you want to go back and forth with Wishbone? Is it like a psychic dog or like a... a sure. Yeah. Well, like they, a can, they can tell you. Know, mortal enemies dog. I want a I guess buddy can... cop St. Bernard. So it's this tiny oh, Jack yes. Russell Terrier. This is a huge like St. Bernard or a Mastiff. Mm-hmm. What do they call those? Uh, starts with an A. Uh, Akita something? Oh, yeah. yeah. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. But if it's like a villain dog, a Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, that. Or like a Doberman, a Doberman have that like character esque, you know, <laughs> evil. Uh, but hey, who knows? Very That's... Oliver and Company. Uh, <laughs> I assume that about a beautiful Doberman. <laughs> a beagle would be cute. Bring back Rosie. Um, Aww, yeah, yeah. that's true. Love you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice team up. I was thinking about that whenever I wrote it too. Having Rosie. Yeah. Shannon, um, with that, I guess, do you want to get into the takeaways? Like, I don't know if you have anything else you want to... 
I don't think I do. Bryn, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we go to our takeaways? Yes. Please fund public access entertainment. Yes. Do your donations to whatever media makes you happy, if it be a Waters Media or (laughs) NPR. But, like, I think, if anything, this should kind of show that, like, if you really believe in, like, a subject matter and you're really passionate about, like, having it uh, shown to others, like, you need to be part of, like, however you're able to, you need to be part of, like, helping fund that or volunteer to, like, help it get more of an audience. Like, just... It's your duty. Yeah, be passionate about the things you're passionate about. Exactly, yeah. That's why I always shout out Wikipedia. And then, well, I mean, this episode I shouted out NPR, but anyway. But yeah, just like, and if there's stuff in your local legislature, please go out and vote to help <laughs> improve education. Right. And don't forget to visit your local library. I wish <laughs> You know what? They have such big digital collections nowadays. I'm literally reading so many audiobooks through my library. Please go check out your library's like digital functions if you're not in cars anymore. For real, you don't have to get them anymore. Sorry, we don't have a library card, but you can still get the essence of a library card. I mean, I have a library card. Oh, do you? Yeah, I have a physical library card. I do. Hold on. Oh my gosh, here we go. Live in the dream. It's uh, fancy. I have the uh, keychain version. Oh, Ooh, I'm going to Let me pick you up a book, David. <laughs> oh my god, I want to go dark with it. Alright, Shannon, you want to give us your takeaway? Yeah, I wrote a long takeaway, oh, I think, yeah. when I was feeling in my feels. So I put... Yes. Wishbone consistently brought classic literature into the zeitgeist through the juxtaposition of historic texts with Wishbone's owner, um, Joe, and Joe's current life situations. Through Wishbone, both as a show and a character, we can see how we can continue to apply literature to our current context when it comes to these timeless texts. But that being said, I think timelessness varies among people. Um, but uh, there's got to be some classic novel that's impacted all of us, whether it's Good Night Moon or some other, you know, board book that you read. Um, classic literature teaches us, teaches us about people and situations that we may never have imagined, allowing us to become more and more empathetic towards other people and even animals in nature. So I think it kind of goes back to how we were thinking about morals earlier. And I think it's kind of like once you really understand a moral, you can't unlearn it. You can't forget it. Once it's in you and a part of your consciousness, I think it's kind of like, you know, what's right and wrong. But you also like kind of learn how to break the rules. Right. So in the Robin Hood episode, it's like you learn like, okay, so she's not allowed to sell that food. She's supposed to throw it away or she could give it to like homeless people. Like you can understand her motivations for that and then kind of want to do the same thing. And like, so I think it's like learning the rules, 
And then learning how to break them in a way that, like, aligns with your moral compass. And once you figure that out, you don't really forget it. Huh. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Because I feel... I, I'll make this part of my takeaway. Um, that a lot of these shows, which one included, do have this moralistic outset mindset whenever they're going in one into the production the pre-production going into the post-production etc etc and that's something that I've always really enjoyed like I had mentioned earlier about the corporate environment money 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 versus you know yeah. academic side learn 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 I've always been one to go towards the you know one where I, I not necessarily like I'm you can do it in you know the corporate world Definitely, you know, that's just learning a new skill in itself, so it's yeah. kind of hard to separate the two, but with these shows in particular, you know, it does, you brought up moralistic, you know, I don't know, values, like, Arthur has, I, I feel like that is just TV in general, where we have some type of moral compass for the show, quote-unquote, um, and we're kind of basing it around that, and I always love that these shows on PBS, KBRA, um, could provide that, because I think that's where I pull some of my morals from, so. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that was a takeaway. I can't remember my, the other half of it, but <laughs> don't make Bushbone Part 2 unless it's going to be with Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Because <laughs> I've read it. <laughs> Do you have a takeaway, Brett? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think it's just super fascinating, like, thinking about how these universal stories touched all of us. Um, But at the same time, kind of like y'all were saying, like, it is moralistic, but it's such, like, a specific subsect of, like, Western ideology, liberal moralism, and this idea that, like... I don't know, because, like, we, like, I kind of mentioned earlier, it'd be interesting to see more of, like, the takeaway from, like, other countries and, like, other, like, religious, like, because at the end of the day, like, a lot of Western canon is very Christianity-oriented, whether it's, like, explicit or not. Um, And so the idea to be able to see, like, like, more... Buddhist moral lessons or Islamic moral lessons and things like that, I think would be really fascinating. And like, I don't know. I really like the idea of being able to branch out more and be able to see more of the world using like literature, which I think is so universal and yet so regional in some regards because of just language barriers and like context barriers. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this wishbone definitely reinforces that sort of like diversity. Well, I don't. I, well, no, I think it's it is so like Brenna's saying, like of a particular canon that it it. I don't think it's necessarily like isolating, but it's it just kind of feeds into like the school system pipeline, right? Like this is what you're going to read in school. So we're, it's going to prepare you for that in America. Not like if you're in 
I don't know, like in the Middle East or something like that, you're not going to have the same relationship to Wishbone as a kid in Texas. True. But, like, at the same time, like, Shakespeare uh, through colonization (laughs) is, like, so universal to, like, every country, uh, or at least most countries, if they were touched by, like, the British Empire at any point. Um, that we do have, like, these common denominators and these common, like, turns of phrase and things like that. <laughs> and so it's just, like, wild how universal it can be, but at the end of the day, it's like, should it be universal or should we be looking for more diverse, like, authors, like, queer authors or authors of color? Um, and even having more of that in, like, Joe Talbot's life like yeah. he's in a little suburb of <laughs> Dallas probably and it's like should there be more of a emphasis on learning outside of Oakdale Texas you know right, right. yeah so. yeah it, I think that that that's a good point I think if there was anything else like the show could have done differently it might have been to maybe explore like, because that goes back to the original point, right, of, like, what kids are getting out of it. So, like, if Wishbone was able to show, like, here's this text from China, here's the, like, parallel with what's going on in Joe's life, look at how yeah. you can identify with that in this a whole other part of the world. Yeah. Make it a little bit more universal, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how different texts can seem so like across the board like like with Shakespeare but then you realize like even even with Shakespeare though like how you mentioned it's been colonized like people who had it forced upon them might even take it differently than you know right or like Le Mis is yeah. Very relevant to, like, the United States and a lot of, like, conflict that we've had in here. But it's a French text. But, you know, a lot of oh, that... Oh, Wishbone and Lame. <laughs> it would be... be. <laughs> Javert. <laughs> no. <laughs> you have to watch him commit suicide. Uh, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, and it's just like, yeah, there's these universal, like, conflicts, like war and overthrowing, like, dictatorships or just, like, sovereignties that don't make sense to how your country is being run and like I don't know there's so much left to explore we need maybe like five more seasons of Wishbone to go (laughs) (laughs) all the literary classics but uh yeah no I think like it's all universal and yet it's not it's interesting to think about I like that awesome I think that's a great place to go ahead and wrap it up if you want to show your support for Into the Zeitgeist, uh, consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash WDM1. Also, subscribe to our Facebook and Instagram pages uh, where you can see when new episodes go live. Shannon, what are we talking about next time? Next time we're going to talk about the Got Milk campaign. Got Milk? You know, I drank like a gallon of milk like the last like two days here, so it's kind of relevant. 
That's a lot. That's horrifying. My dad always used to get like the little Debbie's, uh, little Debbie things, oh, yeah. and a glass of milk. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm oh. all about that right now, but. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so let's not spend too much more time right. on big dairy <laughs> propaganda. <laughs> I made up the best. <laughs> well, now you know what the bias is <laughs> going into hot milk. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Uh, also, big thank you to Bryn for yes. coming on today. Thank um, you so much for having me. <laughs> we definitely had a great time. Yes. Of, we may do a uh, guest more often now. We'll have to re- be a repeat. Oh, anytime. Careful, <laughs> oh, Um, Shannon? David? You got you got to go. Um, I got to go. Uh, I've got to go get a library card. Yes, I know. Yes, perfect, perfect. I wouldn't have ended it any other way. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Me? Bye. Yes, The Zeitgeist is a bi-weekly podcast recorded in the DFW, Austin, and San Antonio areas in the state of Texas. The podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, David Lonnie Waters. My co-host and researcher for the show is Shannon Boffman. As you know, all of our shows are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash WDM1. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and for that, we're stoked for your sponsorship. Lone Star Aeronautics, Sharon, and Keegan Gunther.